0: Welcome to Africa Insights, a podcast from New Lines Magazine. I'm Kwangu Liwewe. In this podcast, we delve into the dynamics and complexities of xenophobia in South Africa. South Africa has been in the news lately after it filed a genocide lawsuit against Israel in the International Court of Justice. Since the end of apartheid in South Africa, the country has occupied a romantic place in the Western imagination as a modern-day example of overcoming tyranny and racism. Yet since the end of apartheid, South Africa has grappled with sporadic and sometimes deadly violence, targeting especially Black foreign nationals. In 1995, a year after becoming South Africa's first Black president, Nelson Mandela gave a speech in Alexandra, a township in Johannesburg, bemoaning the attack of foreign nationals who once housed South African exiles in their home countries during the brutal apartheid era. Mandela said, and I quote, We were one people, and we undermined the distinctions that the apartheid government tried so hard to impose. It saddens and angers me to see the rising hatred of foreigners, end of quote. Mandela's dimensions seem to have gone unheard. In this episode, we take a close look at how South Africa's politicians, who represent political parties or homegrown vigilante groups, are openly chanting xenophobic slogans and inciting violence against Black Africans. For instance, in a recent confrontation, the Patriotic Alliance Party turned back migrants trying to make it across the Limpopo River. Here is Kenny Kunene, the Deputy President of Patriotic Alliance.
1: We are telling them, Hamba, Abraham, they go back, and they can see that we are highly armed, and uh, we are telling them, if you come this side, you are going to meet us. And that is why they are coming back. They are going back, because they can see we are here and we are not here to talk.
0: Joining me now to give some insight on the dynamics of xenophobia is Professor Tikelelo Breakfast, who is the head of the Center for Security, Peace and Conflict Resolution at the Nelson Mandela University in South Africa. Later in the podcast, I'll be speaking to Rutendo Matinyarare, a Zimbabwean political analyst based in South Africa. Professor Breakfast, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for being with me here. Professor, how do you perceive the juxtaposition of South Africa filing a genocide lawsuit against Israel in the International Court of Justice? This, of course, is to advocate for the plight of the Palestinians, while they're silent about the genocide happening in Darfur, as well as turning a blind eye on the recurring pattern of xenophobic attacks on foreign nationals within South Africa. The manner in which we
1: have instituted our grievance to the ICJ regarding the so-called genocide committed by Israel towards the people of Gaza or Palestine. It's very interesting. I mean, first of all, there have been many atrocities that have been committed on the African continent, um, whereby we have not commended on. There have been many violations of human rights that we have not commended on. And that begs the question as to why do we prioritize the the atrocities which are alleged to be committed by Israel towards um, the people of Gaza. It is quite debatable whether South Africa is responding to the conflict between Israel and Palestine in good faith or there are some political dynamics at play in South Africa trying to garner some votes out of this by pleasing a particular community that is affected by the war. You, you see what makes us to respond to the conflict between Israel and Palestine among other things is the culture of human rights which uh, embeds itself in our foreign policy. but there is an, a selective application of human rights, you know uh, or the application of the protection of human rights, so um, our credibility is questionable on matters of human rights, uh, not only pertaining to foreign nationals, but even pertaining to other atrocities which have been committed on the African continent.
0: Now, since the mid-1990s, South Africa has seen a wave of violent attacks on African migrants, which has led to a loss of lives and properties. And these attacks continue unabated. The term widely used for these anti-immigrant sentiments and attacks is xenophobia. Yet all the attacks on black Africans. Surely this is a classic act of Afrophobia, which is prejudice and discrimination against the cultures of people of Africa.
1: Yeah, I think uh, social conflict is caused by the failure of addressing human needs. Human beings have needs when their needs are not met. That creates a scope for conflict to come into uh, the picture. The conflict in question, in my opinion, is caused by competition over scarce uh, resources. And because most foreign nationals who come from the African continent, the, the reasons that are driving them to come to South Africa have to do with uh, poverty, unemployment, inequality, where they, they come from. And those uh, challenges are similar to the challenges that uh, the majority of black people in South Africa are faced with. That's why it's a uh, black on black as opposed to you know uh being a tension between black south Africans and uh for argument's sake, let's say uh foreign nationals from europe or from from other parts of 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 the world uh so so I think that's the background to to the story at the heart of the conflict in my view is the scarcity of uh, of resources. What compounds the situation is also what Mahmoud Mamdan calls South Africa's exceptionalism. Sometimes you find most black South Africans, I think because of their socioeconomic status, don't travel. So they're they're limited to South Africa. And that is made worse by the thinking that was a... Entrenched during apartheid, you know that we are an exception, as if we are not part of Africa. So, so I think also traveling can go a long way in terms of um, helping people to have a better outlook, you know, ab- about about other Africans and about uh, themselves.
0: Now, taking you back to my earlier question with regards to xenophobia and Afrophobia in South Africa, these attacks are generally referred to as xenophobia. And yet they're all targeted at Black Africans, which is essentially Afrophobia. Why is there reluctance to call it as it is?
1: Yeah, the, the media is a powerful platform. You know, uh, our understanding of political realities is as a result of what is reported to us by the media. So the media does not only... Report about uh, societal issues, but it frames a discourse, and discourse is meant to circulate a particular way of thinking in order to reinforce, you know, uh, a particular thesis. So, 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 I think maybe that is done for a particular reason. Not to perpetuate, you know, black on black violence, uh, by not being too specific. So that's the framing of, of the media, which is part of their grand narrative to frame this as xenophobia as opposed to, um, uh, Afrophobia.
0: Now South Africa undoubtedly carries massive trauma and this is stemming from institutionalized racism apartheid and yet the country prides itself with ubuntu a philosophy that talks all about humanity to other people it's a proudest south african philosophy but at the same time we're seeing these rampant attacks on black africans what's your comment on this
1: I agree with you in terms of the omission of ubuntu because as you uh, correctly pointed out that ubuntu has to do with the fact that you are who you are because of others. Uh, so I agree with that uh, definition. The reason why there is an omission of Ubuntu, in my opinion, is the fact that xenophobia or Afro- uh, Afrophobia is about having access to economic resources. You see, uh, that's why it, it uh, disregards Ubuntu, because it's a competition over... Scarce resources. It's it's an economic matter. <laughs> That's why people are able to stoop so low as killing each other, assaulting each other, and yeah, dehumanizing each other.
0: So are the perpetrators oblivious to the fact that not all migrants are economic migrants? Others are refugees and asylum seekers. They fled from persecution and they came to South Africa looking for safety. And yet they met here with hostility. Is there any differentiation in the minds of the perpetrators when they look at these migrants?
1: You know, there's a saying that says it's not the conscience of human beings that determines their behavior, but it's the material conditions. You know, uh, social relations are determined by who owns what. So that really makes people to do crazy things. I mean, we are all Africans, you know. Why must I hate another person from another African country um, simply because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make ends meet, you know? And and the interesting thing is that you know there are so many positive things that other uh, Africans, you know, from from other countries, um, are bringing to the country and. You know, they are, they are really contributing in a positive way in trying to to help even locals. For instance, there are Africans from other countries who are helping up-and-coming uh, Black academics to complete their PhDs. They are mentoring them. They're helping them to, to publish. But we don't talk about that quite often.
0: South Africa also prides itself with having one of the most internationally acclaimed constitutions and a very strong rule of law. Yet, ironically, we're seeing African migrants being mistreated in full view of the authorities. What's your comment on this?
1: We have to distinguish between what the constitution says in theory and, and, and how people interpret it in practice. Uh, but of course, at the heart of the constitution, about the culture of human rights, we refer to that as as the Bill of Rights. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's quite unfortunate that we don't live up to those values of the Constitution. In fact, the preamble of the Constitution talks about you know, issues of justice and, and so on, and that goes against what um, uh, we've been doing as a country in terms of having an attitude towards foreign nationals.
0: So whose fault is it that the country isn't abiding to these values? It's a very complex
1: matter because there are also, I mean, I'm sure you must have seen the behavior of some political parties towards foreign nationals. You are going to see that a lot in the build up to the upcoming general elections. There are political parties that are trying to garner votes by peddling uh, xenophobic uh, sentiments um, for instance, Patriotic Alliance, there was a, a video that was circulating around over the weekend where leaders of Patriotic Alliance, they went to the border to turn away some foreign nationals who were crossing over the border. I understand that is wrong, but it's not their place to do that. But they have been making a lot of uh, statements which are escalating, you know, the, the hatred towards uh, foreign nationals. Also, if a political party like uh, Action SA. So when the rank and file is hearing these statements from prominent leaders, you know, they escalate the violence and, and uh, the conflict and the tension. So I think the people who are leaders in society also have a responsibility you know, to to make statements that are going to to unify the continent and not be narrow-minded.
0: Now, human rights organizations have blamed the government for failing to address these xenophobic attacks across the country, but have instead continued to scapegoat foreign nationals for high levels of crime, putting a strain on government services, and operating illegal businesses. So to find out more about this, I spoke to Rutendo Matinyarare, a Zimbabwe political analyst based in South Africa. Rutendo, thanks very much for joining me on the podcast.
2: Thank you very much for the opportunity.
0: Now, social and political issues continue to plague South Africa, even 30 years after the end of apartheid. Black South Africans are increasingly accusing Black Africans of taking their jobs. They paint them as criminal elements, and they say they're overburdening the social services. But what's the reality on the ground with regards to these accusations? Are South Africa's problems really created by migrants?
2: That is an interesting question, and it can be answered in a number of ways to say, Yes, South Africa's greatest problems are created by migrants, and those are the European migrants that came illegally to South Africa. They got it into the country. They undertook what is called a primitive accumulation. They killed. They committed genocide. They stole land. They stole mineral resources. They impoverished South Africans. And today, the black South African is aspiring to try and live a life of dignity, but without factors of production they cannot live a life of dignity because they continue to be enslaved. And they continue to be enslaved by those that sold the factors of production, those that enslaved them for over 360 years, and those that continue to perpetuate the crime against humanity of colonialism and apartheid who continue to hold the land and resources. However, those very same criminals that are holding the land have then began to indoctrinate black South Africans to believe that their problem are foreigners. But when we look at the statistics, when you look at the murder rate, when you look at the crime rate, ever since black foreigners were allowed to come into South Africa from independence, from when we get uh, freedom in South Africa, the crime rate has gone down by over 300%. And so the question is, how can black foreigners be the cause of the problem if they have come into South Africa and instead of the crime rate increasing, has actually been decreasing ever since uh, 1994. And we also say that uh, a lot of Black Africans are not the majority of people in prison, neither the majority of people perpetuating crime. So you look at where are the biggest crime statistics, Mitchell's Plain, Cape Town, uh, Harare, Nyanga, Cape Town. You come from there, you go to Port Elizabeth. From Port Elizabeth, you go to uh, East London. And from East London, Durban. All those are areas that are very much uh, populated by natives, not foreigners or Africans that are coming into South Africa. And the place that has got those mo- uh, the most foreigners is actually Johannesburg, which comes at fifth. And so you ask yourself, how did people arrive at that conclusion? So it's a political conclusion, one that has been um, fostered and uh, uh, indoctrinated into the people. It has been workshopped into people's minds, and that has been done by a uh, white media, and white people who are trying to stop losing their factors of production and control of the economy.
0: Mm, It's interesting because South Africa goes to the polls this year in a general election, and we're seeing dangerous rhetoric coming out from right-wing political parties, populist politicians. They're all tapping into this anti-migrant sentiment. You've also just mentioned that the media is basically getting it wrong. Now, in terms of the elections, do you expect the South African election season rhetoric to spark fresh xenophobic attacks?
2: So before I go into that question, I think, I think the problem is when you've got a society that is run by criminals, genocidal criminals, uh, neo-Nazis who are allowed to prevent a crime against humanity. And even when that crime was said to have ended, they were never punished. They were never taken out of society. Because we did not have, like what happened with the Jews, um, that um, the Germans had to accept that they were wrong about the Holocaust. They had to accept that their uh, I- idea of Lebensraum was wrong. Um, it didn't happen in South Africa. Hence, a crime continues to be perpetuated. Now, whether that is going to continue is another question. We have a Zimbabwean by the name of Simbachitando. He went to open a case with the ICC about the deaths of 200 truck drivers that were systematically murdered and killed because they were foreign truck drivers and they were Zimbabwean truck drivers. He opened a case with the ICC and the ICC is currently investigating and monitoring the situation in South Africa. So if xenophobia was to break out this time around, we're getting to a stage where the country could actually get into problems with the ICC, especially now that they've taken Israel to, that very, to the ICJ, you know. So I don't think xenophobia will be allowed to break out. Number one, we had the July 2021 riots that were started by people like Aiko Kumalo, who were initially advocating the purging of foreigners, initially advocating and promoting violence and uh, inciting violence against foreigners. And then before you know it, that very same anger was then turned against white business and white people in what then became the looting spree that took place in shopping malls and in businesses in South Africa, uh, where black South Africans who were hungry, were targeting white business. Their anger was eventually turned to where it was supposed to be turned. And that is the risk of having a xenophobic attack where people induce xenophobia, foreigners leave, or in a worst case scenario, foreigners fight back, and then they get backed up by either white South Africans who want to cause chaos, or other the foreigners, the Chinese, the Russians, or anyone else, or even uh, uh, terrorist groups can decide to arm um, a lot of people in South Africa who are Muslim, coming from Somalia, coming from uh, Nigeria can be armed and that can actually cause an insurrection in the country. And this is the fear of the South African government. So I don't think they're going to allow xenophobic attacks as what happened during Zuma. I think they're going to clamp on them. They're going to clamp down because they know it's going to cause chaos. And they've already been given warnings by Bantu Holomisa that if you continue to allow Black South Africans to intimidate and to be hostile to other Africans, eventually those Africans, many of whom are militarily trained, will eventually take arms and defend themselves.
0: Yeah, we've also seen the springing up of groups such as Operation Dudula, which has even registered as a political party, and they're taking part in this general election. It's really unprecedented for a vigilante group to register as a political party. What's their popularity looking like on the ground?
2: Yeah, and it makes us question the IEC's uh, intentions because the very same IEC refused to register Black Land First because Black Land First would not allow white people to register as members of the party. They, They were barred because apparently they were breaking the constitution. For them now to allow the registration of a political party that incites violence, incites xenophobia, discrimination, and ethnic cleansing and all that nonsense doesn't make sense. It is actually a contradiction. It is also hypocrisy. But I think that the people within the institutions like the uh, IEC are compromised. They are part and parcel of utilising their emotions instead of sticking to the book, sticking to the constitution, sticking to the laws. Hence, they would allow a uh, uh, doula to register, but they refuse for a Black Land First to register just because um, it doesn't want white people in the party.
0: So what's Dudula's popularity looking like at the grassroots level? It, it, it's, it, it,
2: it's looking okay. But the truth of the matter is when you look at their, uh, their, 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 their rallies, when you look at their marches, they're not really attended well. Um, they're a fringe group. Um, I think many people in South Africa cannot relate with their psychology. They cannot relate with their thinking. Because what you have to understand is South Africa is a well-integrated society. Most normal South Africans have relatives that are married to foreigners, that have children with foreigners, that um, are employed by foreigners, that are working with foreigners, that are benefiting from foreigners, that are buying their food and everything from foreigners. Such people are likely to join this vigilantism. They would more likely be in the middle. And the majority of South Africans are moderates who are tolerant of foreigners, many of whom (laughs) their own fathers uh, are foreigners. Uh, Some of them don't know their fathers, but. There is understanding that there was a very huge um, African population, even during apartheid, that was working within the mines, working within industry, and they were making kids in South Africa, many of whom are the South Africans that are in South Africa today. So there's a consciousness of that in and among the majority of the people. So I don't see Dudula really being that popular because uh, most South Africans can't relate to that level of discrimination.
0: Now, apart from Dudula, there's Patriotic Alliance. There's also Action South Africa. They're also spewing out dangerous rhetoric against Black foreign nationals. What's the ruling African National Congress, the ANC, saying about all this xenophobia, especially now ahead of a crucial election?
2: The ANC itself has been pushed into a corner where they've got to stand on the migrant ticket, otherwise they're going to lose elections. That's the fear. And so whether they believe in the principle, They are currently standing and also talking about the fact that they don't want illegal immigrants. But unfortunately, the message of not wanting illegal immigrants is also then uh, convoluted with the hatred of foreigners. So I think ANC is also playing a dangerous game, especially for a political party where their leaders left South Africa, went into the diaspora without passports, without visas, on the pretext that they were moving into an Africa that was for Africans on the pan-African ideology of the OAU. And then all of a sudden they get independence, they close their borders, and now they call people uh, illegal immigrants for not having visas. But we also understand the pressure that they have to try and win these elections, because if they don't win these elections, we then have these fringe parties having a chance to actually ascend to power and uh, create a um, coalition with the DA that will bring another white racist government into South Africa. So some of us then begin to look and say, "Mm, it justifies the means. So maybe let the ANC do whatever it takes to win the election and then try and heal the country after they win the election.
0: Rutendo, what are your thoughts on Ubuntu, the proudly South African philosophy? It talks all about humanity to others. And I quote, it says something like, I am what I am because of who we all are, end of quote. Isn't it ironic that South Africa has this philosophy and yet in the same breath, some South Africans despise foreign nationals and treat them with such
2: Yeah, and I can't really blame them because nothing has been done to heal the damage of um, um, 60, 70 years of uh, apartheid. Apartheid's whole idea was separate development. It just didn't divide people and separate people according to race. It divided people according to ethnicity, divided people according to tribe. That was a strategic process that was undertaken and exerted upon the South African people. And so for us to expect them to just heal and to behave differently to what it is that they've been conditioned to is actually to be disingenuous. And so that is why it's very important for the Africans themselves that are suffering this, the governments of Africa, the OAU, With AU, sorry, SADC, and other regional bodies to start working towards making sure that Ubuntu can become a thing in South Africa by eliminating and decolonizing minds and um, reorientating the thinking of South Africans to understand who they are, who they identify with, and to eliminate this division.
0: What about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission? Didn't it tackle some of these issues?
2: Well, you have a situation where the enemy who has oppressed people, committed a crime against humanity of colonialism and apartheid, then came and tried to tell the, the oppressed how it is that they are supposed to recover from their oppression and how to treat the oppressor. The truth and reconciliation was just a means and a way to try and nullify a Nuremberg. It a way... To, to nullify a, 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 a trial process like what happened in Japan to try those people who had perpetuated the crimes against humanity and the war crimes that the Japanese had perpetuated in the Second World War. And so I believe that that's where the problem is because the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was a farce. It was a means to legalize a crime. It was a means to ensure that the crime was not punished, even though apartheid has got a genocide, a convention, an apartheid convention that says it must be, Punished. So it must be stopped, it must be prevented, and it must be punished. It was never punished. And that's the problem. So that truth and reconciliation becomes a farce because it did not deal with the criminals. And those criminals continue to run society. They continue to victimize their victims. They continue to exert psychological warfare and indoctrination upon the very same people that are oppressed during apartheid in a new form of apartheid in which black people are now involved as the administrators.
0: Professor Breakfast Nsikelelo and Rotendo Matin thank you for your insights this week's episode was produced by Patrick Hagen and posted by me, Kwangu Liwewe for more in-depth discussions and analysis on Africa visit our website at newlinesmag.com thanks for listening in